0: The present what he does for us and how he leads and guides and directs his children. And then Psalm 24 presents Christ in the future, what he will do. And uh, and so as you look at Psalm 24, uh, you could really maybe even put a title to it if you wanted, The King of Glory. And, uh, and we'll see Christ clearly presented in the future in this psalm as we're going through also the book of Revelation on Sunday night. Uh, we've not yet studied the part of the millennial reign of Christ, but it is coming. And, uh, and when he will be uh, the king uh, on, and, and will reign. Uh, and so that's not to say that he's not reigning, but he, he does not currently reign here on this earth. And, uh, and so that will come in a future time. Psalm chapter 24 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, O everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for your many blessings. Thank you, God, for the privilege uh, that we have of being here in your house. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts, encourage and strengthen each and every believer that's here tonight. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that as we look at your word. And God, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we uh, as we look at the first part of this, uh, you can see a clear division there. at Verse number seven, the whole uh, tone and idea changes. But let's look at the first part here. And we notice right away in verses one and two, the creation of God. You notice how it starts off. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I love the way that the word of God is emphatic, and it just states fa- uh, factually that that the world and the earth are God's. It's a statement. It's it's just an announcement that hey, that this earth and this world belong to God. Uh, and as we think about that, uh, there's certainly a lot of truth in that. And and if you look around, boy. When I, when I look at nature, and I love nature, and I love science, uh, and I love all of those things, and when I see it, I see, man, it just points to a creator. And, uh, and I know there's a lot of uh, scientists out there uh, that, that try to disprove God and, and prove evolution. I, I realize that they're out there, but I'm just telling you, when I look at things, I'm like, man, that didn't just happen by accident. Uh, there is a designer that created that and, uh, and really it is quite marvelous. I'm reminded of the story, and uh, you might have heard this before, that a, a scientist one time told God, we no longer need you. We've advanced to the point that we can create anything we need with our own ingenuity. Doesn't that sound like where man is today? And, uh, and he said that, and, and God said, well, let's put that to a test. And the scientists agreed, asking, "Well, what kind of a test do you want to put it to?" And 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 the scientist and God said, "Let's let's each make a man." And uh, God then made man from dirt. And the scientists started to pick up some handful of dirt. And and God said, "Oh no, no, no! You get your own dirt. You make your own dirt." Amen. And uh, and the truth of it is. You know, science, we think, well, we're so smart and we have all this ability. And, and I like technology, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's amazing the medical technology that we have that you can take a heart out and put a new one in uh, or, or other things. One time I read, um, this is nothing to do with the message, but just science, uh, of somebody that they, the, the heart actually went bad, and so they put a pump in there. And they had no pulse. It just was a constant pump. And uh, and it it sensed the activity, and then it would pump faster. And and if the battery ever came loose, uh, then they had about 15 seconds before they'd pass out uh, because there was no blood flow. And uh, it was quite an amazing thing. And what I'm saying is, yeah, technology is fascinating. Medical technology is super interesting, and it's amazing. But in all reality... We're taking all of God's stuff and implementing it elsewhere. We're not really that smart uh, to be able, we're not, let me rephrase that, we're not smart enough or powerful enough to make something of nothing like God did. And so, uh, really, God is quite amazing uh, in His creation, and really, He owns everything. The Bible makes it very clear. The, the, uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And, uh, and it's just a statement of fact. Uh, I love the fact, the second part, it says, uh, the, the fullness thereof, the world and they are. That dwell therein. Listen, it's not just the rocks and the trees and the, uh, the ball of dirt and the, the water that is on this planet that belongs to God, but the Bible is very clear that every uh, they that dwell therein is the words that it says. That would be you and I. That would be uh, my pet dog. Uh, that would be my pet cat. That would be the deer that are roaming the fields. That would be the uh, the the all the creatures, the birds that are flying through the air. They belong to God. Now I want to distinguish this because they belong to God does not mean that they're God's children. We need to we need to separate that, and we'll see that a little bit going on. But it does mean this that because God created everything, and God made the world, and God made all of the creatures that exist, that, listen, uh, that, that he is in control of those things. He is able to do as he wishes with those things. Uh, that is, he's the one that writes the rules and, and sets forth the order, uh, and he's the one that establishes everything. And we have to understand that about God. Uh, And so we see that announcement. We see in verse number 2 that he's the author. Uh, It says there, For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Save your spot here in Psalm. We'll be back here. Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says there in Genesis 1 in verse number 1. It shouldn't take long to find it. I I got a few pages before Genesis 1, so you have to flip a little bit. But uh, Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Watch this in verse number 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Isn't that fascinating? You know what it tells me? It tells me that the psalmist was not ignorant of God's creation and the account in Genesis that gives us very clearly that, hey, the world, when it existed, it was a big bowl of water, basically, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Jump down to verse number 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And you go back to our, our chapter here in Psalm 24 and verse number 2. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. And so the psalmist is not ignorant that God, when he made the the, the earth, uh, that really it was a bowl of water and, and God separated the water and allowed the dry ground to come up uh, so that there was dry ground and there's water. And, uh, and listen... Uh, we understand that God established everything and therefore he is the author of everything. And we have to understand that. Uh, and so we see the creation of God in verses one and two. And, uh, and I love creation. I know I talk about it a lot, so I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. I could spend all night on creation. To me, it's the most fascinating thing uh, to look at, at what God has made. But I want you to notice the company of God in verses 3 down through 6. So we have the creation of God in verses 1 and 2. We have the company of God in verse 3. Look at what it says. The question is asked Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? And uh, and as we look at this company of God, uh, we're gonna we're gonna see that He created everyone. Obviously, we know that. In verse number two, we see that, or verse or rather, verse number one, and uh, and then we see this question. So okay, so God made everything, and who is it that's going to stand before God? You know, that is the question for history. And time of man that they have been trying to answer. I know I've said this before, but it's so true. Around the world, man is constantly trying to find a way to appease someone out there that's bigger than him. He does not know who God is, per se, and he does not recognize uh, the God of the universe, but he does understand and he does realize that there is something out there greater than himself. That's why we have religions all over this world. Uh, because people are trying to appease something that's out there that they don't really understand and they don't know a lot about. And they're trying to answer this question, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? That's why in India uh, they, they do sacrifices. Uh, why? Because they want, they're trying to appease some god somewhere so that they can be in good standing with whatever god it is that they're trying to appease. And so man around the world has been trying to appease God. And we find here the inquiry, the question uh, that, that, that is very clearly and plainly asked, saying, who, uh, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Look at verse number four. We have the information. We have the inquiry. In verse three, we have the information. In verse number four, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully? The answer to that is who has a pure heart and clean hands? The answer to that is nobody. Amen. All of man, we find ourselves condemned. Before God because we cannot have a clean heart not in and of ourselves. We cannot have clean hands in and of ourselves. The Bible is very clear about that. It says in Romans three ten, 10 as it is written there is none righteous no not one. And so none of us have a pure heart. And listen, uh, I know we know this on a Wednesday night. Hey, listen, the gospel message is the only thing that will clean our heart. I find it interesting this psalmist mentioned two things. He mentioned specifically two things, the heart and the hands. Listen, the heart uh, is made clean by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, once that heart gets clean, you know what happens? The hands, our actions start to change when God changes our heart, it ought to change at least. And we ought to live a clean life and we ought to have a different life uh, because it's, it's only through the, the blood of Jesus Christ that our hearts can be made clean. And so the question is asked here, uh, who shall inc- ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand? In his holy place, the information that's given, hey, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, uh, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And You find, boy, just those few things, that, that verse right there about condemns all of mankind. Uh, I mean, everyone has a, a, obviously a wicked heart. We cannot see that. But then hands oftentimes, but then uh, that vanity And uh, and swearing deceitfully, Uh, you know, probably every single person at some time in their life said, I didn't do it." it. You know what I'm saying? If you're if you're a parent and you had kids, you know what you know. He lived in your house, too. Not me. I mean, who did this? Who 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 spilled this and didn't clean it up? Not me. I mean, uh, that denial, that, that it wasn't me, that person that says I don't want to be pegged as guilty. And, and listen, that's, that's the world around. It doesn't matter if you're speaking Chinese, English, uh, Japanese, uh, Spanish, Italian, uh, French, it doesn't matter what language, those, every person in the world uh, is guilty of that, it wasn't me, you know, and, and it was. Uh, and, and we find that, hey, everyone is condemned of their sin. We find the information that only those uh, with clean, a clean heart uh, can ascend unto God. And listen, God is the only one that can make our heart clean. God's the only one that can cleanse our works and our actions. And so we find the information in verse number 4. Look at verse number 5. We find an inheritance. The Bible says this, He, we're talking about the person that uh, hath clean hands and a pure heart and hath not lifted up his soul to vanity uh, and not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Listen, God is in the blessing business. And we need to, I said this, I think, sometime this past week. Uh, we need to get our minds off the fact that a blessing is always financial. Blessings are not always financial. There are so many ways that God blesses us that we don't even recognize them, to be honest with you. And so many times we just think, well, blessings, oh, that means, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have riches and, and I'm going to have a new car or I'm going to have a new house or this. Listen, blessings are not always financial. There are so many ways that God can bless us. You know what many people think when they think of God, what the world generally thinks? Well, God, he's in the cursing business. That's really what they think. I mean, um, besides the fact that they take the Lord's name in vain and then they, they use that to, uh, to try and curse everything or to damn everything. And, and they think, well, God's in the cursing business. No, God's not in the cursing business. You know, think about this. We all, before God, were condemned with our own sin. And God wants to bless us with salvation. God doesn't want to curse us and condemn us because of our sin. Matter of fact, he went out of his way to send his own son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross, to shed his precious blood, to pay for our sins so that he could bless us with everlasting life. He went out of his way to do that. He's not in the business of saying, well, I want to curse this or curse this one. And so much of the world and even much of Christianity and much of religion uh, thinks, well, you know, if you just step crooked, that God's going to zap you with a bolt of lightning and that he's looking to curse you and condemn you. No, listen, God is looking to save you. He's looking to bless you. He's looking to take care of you. The problem is we mess our own lives up and we We don't want to be accountable to God for what we have done and we know within ourselves that we are cursed. That's what the Bible says. He that believeth not is condemned already, the Bible says in the book of John. And so uh, we're already condemned. We're already cursed because of our own sin and because of our own iniquity. And God wants to bless us and God wants to forgive us of those sins. God wants us to go forward and he wants to be a blessing to us. And we find that there's an inheritance in verse number five. He shall receive the blessing from. From the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I just love the way that's worded. Listen, God blesses us with righteousness. I know I've said this before and I know we know this, but it's good to be reminded of these things. We had a before our salvation, we had a debt of sin that we could not pay. It was not possible for us to pay. But God, through Jesus Christ, saved us. And listen, he wiped out that debt of sin and gave us righteousness. Man, what a bl- that is a blessing. That is an inheritance that we receive. And that's what he has done for us. He's given us a blessing. And I love the way that's worded in that Psalm 30, 24, verse 5. Uh, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and a righteousness from the God of his salvation. We see the inheritance. We see the inquiry: Who's going to go up? We see the informing that uh, that only those with a, a clean hands and a pure heart, and 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 obviously we don't have that without Christ. And then we see the inheritance that He gives us through Christ. And I want you to notice in verse seven uh, the interest that's supposed to be taken. He says there in verse number seven. Um, Excuse me, it's verse number six. Verse number six. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. And listen, we ought to have an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he saved us and when he changed us, we ought to have an interest in God. Save your spot here in Psalms. Go with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11. I was reminded of this verse as I was just reading the psalm and, and, and studying through it. in Hebrews chapter number 11. And verse number nine. Hebrews 11:9, the Bible says this talking about Abraham, we'll go back to verse number 8 so we have good context there. Hebrews 11 verse number 8. The Bible says this, by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward after receive for an inheritance obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. Verse number nine, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse number 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What a a great illustration of somebody that is seeking after God. Abraham, he was, of course, called to go out from his people. He was called to go to a a place, a land that he did not know where it was. And God said, hey, listen, where you go, I'm going to show you and I'm going to give to you a land. And he went out. What was he doing? You know what he was doing? He was seeking after God. And what God had promised him. What an illustration for the Christian life that, listen, when we're saved, we ought to leave our old, old family. We ought to leave our old home place. We ought to leave all of that. And you say, well, preacher, where are we going? I don't know, wherever God leads you. But I can promise you this. He's going to lead you and guide you and direct you in the way that you should go. And your life will change and you will grow and you continually seek after God. Isn't it interesting that Abraham spent his lifetime wandering through a place? The Bible says right there, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. He was in the land of promise, but it was like a strange country to him as he continued seeking after God, uh, dwelling in tabernacles, With Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. In other words, he wasn't saying, Well, I'm getting really comfortable here and I think I'm gonna build me a house and I think this is where I'm gonna stay. No, spiritually speaking, he was saying, hey, tabernacles are are something that you would pull up and that you would move with you, and you would continue to go and say, Man, wherever God goes, that's where I wanna go. Wherever God leads, that's where I wanna be. Where whatever God wants me to do, that's what I want to do. With my life. And he was busy seeking what God wanted for him. What an incredible passage here in Psalm, back in our text. He says in verse number six, This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek Thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Boy, we ought to be seeking after God. We ought to take an interest. In God, after salvation, we have to have an interest and in the company of God. Uh, we can see that in verse number three down through seven, down through six, we see all of that uh, that is there. I want you to notice the crown in verse number seven through ten, the crown of God. once you to notice the declaration in verse number seven. He says there in verse number seven, "Lift up your heads, O ye gates." We see that idea of lifting up your head. Notice in verse number nine, the same phrase, lift up your heads, O ye gates. And, uh, and I, I thought of that as, as you think of the idea, lift up your heads. It's kind of like, hey, be looking because the king is coming. And there's that, that, that idea there that he's saying, hey, uh, don't, be, don't be focused down here in the things that you're doing. And don't be focused in the storms over here. And don't be focused in all the concerns and worries of life that are going on around you. But keep your heads lifted up looking for the king that is coming. What a day when the king would come. Look to the king. Uh, hey, we ought to anticipate his coming. And that's the idea there that lift up your heads and, and look for the king is coming. And, and listen, we're to keep our eyes on the king of kings. Uh, and he's worthy of our attention. We ought to be focused on the Lord in our life. He's saying, hey, lift up your, your heads. Uh, o ye gates. Look at what he says there in verse number eight. Who is the King of glory? I love his answer there in verse number eight the Lord, strong and mighty. Not only do we see the crown of God, the declaration for the crown, announcing, hey, he's coming. Keep your heads up. Be looking for the king. Pay attention because the king is about to return. But I want you to notice the deity in the crown. Who's this king that we're looking for? Hey, listen, he's not an earthly king. He's not a president. He's not some great politician of this world that has conquered nations. Listen, he is the king of kings. He is the king, the Bible says, here of glory. And as we look at that, the idea that the Lord is strong and mighty, he says there in verse number eight, listen, he's all powerful. Uh, What a great God that we're looking for. We're not looking for a weak king. We're not looking for a king that that needs a, a team of bodyguards to keep him safe. We're looking for the king of kings who is all powerful. The one who created the entire world and is the owner thereof. We're looking for the king uh, that, that only allows the, uh, those who have been saved or redeemed, who are pure in heart, to come close to him and be within his company. That's the king that we're looking for. He's all-powerful in verse number 8, the Lord strong and mighty. Look at what he says there in verse number 8, the second phrase, the Lord mighty in battle. I read that and I thought, boy, that's a victorious king. You know, if you were living in Bible times and you lived in a city and, and your strong men, as we read about in the book of Psalms and several chapters back, your strong men would go out to battle and, and perhaps you're, you're there in the city and you're waiting for them to return. You might have some anxiety saying, man, they're, they've been gone for a long time. Are they going to come back? Is our city going to come under siege and be attacked because our king got defeated in battle? And and you may be wondering, man, you didn't know what was going on. There was not radio communication. When There was no internet. There was no TV. They didn't just click to channel 5 and say, I'm going to check the update on the war and what's going on. Uh, they, they would wait in that city anticipating the return of that king. And listen, when they could look off into the distance and they could see, oh, listen, those are our soldiers that are coming back. Hey, is our king with them? Did our king survive the battle? And is our king coming? And, and boy, when they see the king approaching the city, boy, what a victorious time because the king had returned victorious. Hey, listen, we're looking for that day when our king returns victorious. Oh, he's already conquered death, hell, and the grave. Thank the Lord for that. We know that. Hey, but listen, there's still battles to be fought. We understand that. We know that. We live through battles day after day. Uh, the, the Bible talks about spiritual battles that go on. And, and listen, he is our, our, our buckler. He is our shield. He's our protector. He's the one we ought to look to. But listen, while we're going through these battles day by day, hey, I can't tell you that there is a day if you read the end of the book, you'll find that we win and our king is victorious. I love that idea that he's on, that, 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 that we are on the winning side. That song that, that says, I've read the back of the book and we win. That other song that we sing, our teens have sung, or used to sing many years ago, we are on the winning side. What a great song. That, that truly we can rejoice because we know that our king will return victorious. He's going to come back as mighty in battle, strong and mighty. Verse 8, look at verse number 9 or verse number 10. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. Listen, he's not a lonely king. He's not a king of a small small tribute. No, no, he's a powerful king of many hosts. You think about the people that are saved. We we don't, I, there's no way for us to calculate. There's no way for us to know. You read through the Bible and you see people that have been saved. You hear missionary reports and and you think about over the years, the amount of people. We're not talking about just our generation just today. We're talking about uh, almost 2,000 years since the Lord came and died on the cross uh, of people that have been saved and the gospel that has been preached and all the places that Paul went and all the people that that were reached with the gospel through Peter and those 5,000 that one day and, and later many people that have been saved and, and the countless revivals that have taken place and the countless souls that have been saved and I'm just saying he is the king with a host of people that have been saved and we're just talking about this king and how great he is it says there who is the king of glory the lord of hosts he is the king of glory he's worthy of all praise. And all glory in our life that we can give him. And as we look at the king, I have to ask this. Do we give him the glory and the honor that he's worthy of? Oh, how we ought to. Oh, and I know you're here on a Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. That is wonderful. I'm glad. That is certainly a good thing. But listen, we can even ask ourselves, am I giving God the amount of glory that he ought to have? He is the king of glory. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we serve the king of kings, the king of glory, and that he's able to take care of everything in our life. We ought to remember that. What a great psalm to be reminded. Who is the king of glory? It tells us that the Lord is the king of of glory with every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet the king of glory god i pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can god i pray that you'd help us to be honoring and glorifying of you god truly you are worthy of all of our honor of all of our praise god sometimes we get our eyes off of you and god maybe tonight we need to lift up our head to the king of glory maybe we just need to refocus our life on you god i pray that you would speak to hearts god i pray that you would encourage each and every believer that's here tonight god thank you for all the manifold many many blessings that you've given us in our life god if you gave us salvation and you didn't give us another thing, we ought to be grateful eternally. And God, the truth of the matter is you've blessed us so much more than just salvation. God, you've been good to us. God, I pray that we'd recognize you as the King of glory. I pray that you'd encourage each and every believer ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. If God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open, maybe you just want to thank Him for salvation. Maybe you want to thank Him for being the King of glory. You can pray right there in your seat. Truly, we serve a great God. Truly, He's so good to us. We just need reminded of that. I need reminded of that. Because we're we're flesh and blood. All right, we'll bring our invitation.